Great movie, old movie. Uh, I question whether or not you are a believer if you haven't seen this movie. I'm just kidding. I can't really say that. Um, And most kids in this room are like, I don't even know what that movie is. And this is totally on your parents, so your parents need to show you this movie. Old movie, classic movie, Chariots of Fire. Um, And and really, it's a great movie. I make my kids watch that movie quite a bit. And we just watched it not too long ago. Uh, Classic movie. The movie kind of chronicles the lives of two men uh, as they're entering into life after school. Uh, And they're runners, and they're training for the Olympics. Uh, One is Eric Little, and the other is Harold Abrams. And Harold Abrams... Um, has lived most of his life on the outside because he was a Jew in England at the time. And there's this one poignant moment in the movie uh, right before his race for the gold medal where he is reflecting on uh, how important this race is to him. And this is what he says. He says, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. You hear what he's saying? When the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. What is he saying? Like he's saying what you and I want to say, right? I want my life to matter, right? We want our life to matter. I want people to want to know me, to love me, to accept me, um, And what he is saying is that if I win this race, then my life will be worthy um, to be loved and even remembered. And my life will matter, is what he's saying. Um, And if he were to put it into Paul's words, what he is hoping to find actually was righteousness. He was hoping to find righteousness, this standing whereby we might be completely securely, forever accepted, loved, and valued, even by God. This morning, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about, and, that's, and I want to do that with three questions. Um, what is righteousness? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So let's jump into this. What is righteousness? What is this righteousness? Paul uses this word in verses 9 and verse 10, but he's talking about it really all through the passage. Paul says in verse 9, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And he's using that word righteousness there. Righteousness is simply this. If I could like put it in like the most simple definition I could think of, it's, it's the status that actually gets you in. It's a status that gets you in. Righteousness, um, what Harold Abrams is saying is that if I win the gold medal, if I win this gold medal, then I will be in. I will even be forever in. Um, We know what this is like, right? Like most of us know what this is like. Most of us have done resumes or working on resumes um, or have been there, done that. Um, And if your resume is good enough, right, uh, you'll get in. To a particular job, to a particular college or a club or whatever. Like, so we know what it's like to put together something that might get us in. And we all have different degrees of confidence, right? To which uh, what might get us in. I remember like when we were trying to get our kid into college 
uh, we, you know, there were some scores where we're like, I'm not really sure that college, you know, and, and then there's other colleges where you're like, oh, you can go. You, anybody can go to Ole Miss. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Whatever. I had to. I was, sorry. I saw the shirt. So he went to Tennessee. Um, the uh, Sartell would have liked that one. Um, Paul says something similar in this passage. Like, look at verse 3 and 4. For, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though myself have reason for such confidence. And this idea of righteousness is like really intimately tied to confidence, like the confidence through which you approach life on a day-to-day basis is grounded in where you think you receive righteousness. How well you think you're really in gives you confidence. Now, like if like our, our working assumption um, is that uh, if the rest of life is this way, uh, then our righteousness, righteousness before God comes the same way. That if we want to be accepted by uh, employers, we have to put together a resume that is convincing. Uh, and so we think that if we want to be accepted by God, we have to prove ourselves acceptable to Him. And so, so what, what we find next in this passage is Paul's old spiritual resume where he talks about the things that, that he used to put his trust in, uh, the things that he used, that used to make him feel like he was good, and he had this good standing before God. And he breaks these, these down into two big categories, who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 5 and follow again. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Like, he's about to tell you, like, I'm incredibly awesome. Like, he's about to drop the mic and just tell you how awesome he is. He, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, Paul is saying, look, guys, I was actually born in. I was born in. Um, I have been raised by a faithful family my entire life. I have the pedigree of someone who is actually in. And, I, and that used to give me great confidence. Um, and if, it, if, if that wasn't enough, look at what he goes on to say. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Like, Pharisees generally get a bad rap today, right? Like, you, didn't wanna, you don't want to be called a Pharisee on the playground when you're a kid. Like, you did, like, Pharisees generally have this bad rap. But for centuries, Pharisees were the most honored and revered people of their day. Like, historians would tell you uh, that the Jewish culture was preserved by this group of people who stood in the gap when Alexander the Great uh, took uh, over and conquered that whole area. Like, these were the heroes, and he is saying, like, I was part of that group. I was part of that group, I joined that group, and he was zealous, although a little misdirected as he was persecuting the church. But he was zealous. You read about some of that in Acts 26, 11, uh, he, he describes his efforts to destroy the Christian church as an obsession. Um, and, he, and why was he so obsessed with, with doing that? Because he thought God was pleased with his zeal. He was zealous. Um, we could talk about that all day. 
He has some issues. But then look at what it says in verse 6. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Or as the ESV translates it, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like he is saying, like, if you take, if you think you take God's law seriously, um, if you think you take the commands of God seriously, I got something to tell you. Like, I, there's no one else I've ever met that has take, take God's law and his word as seriously as I do. That's what Paul is saying. Um, and, he was, and he was saying, like, I was blameless in keeping those things. That doesn't mean that he was sinless. He wasn't saying he was sinless, but he dealt with his sin in the way the, the law required, like offering sacrifices. Like he was a teacher of the law, zealously guarding it against trespasses. In other words, like Paul was very satisfied with his law keeping. He was very satisfied with the way he kept the law. And he says, basically, I was a great person. Like I was crushing life. Like he was crushing it. As a great person, he had a lot of reasons to boast in his flesh. And Paul is saying, this was my confidence. I thought, I, this is the things that I thought would get me in. And so let me, let me ask you this, this morning. Like, if that is what righteousness is, like, then the real important personal question is this. What does righteousness tend to be for you? Uh, what do you tend to look to or to trust in to make you feel confident, to, to make you feel secure? Like when, when that sense of who you are is threatened, when that sense of who you are is threatened, um, what do you remind yourself of that makes life worth it? What do you, where do you remind yourself? Maybe, maybe you're a mama's boy like me. Um, I was thinking about, like, every time I'd preach, my, my mother died last summer, and every time I'd preach somewhere, I'd call her, because I'd get a little anxious about, like, like this church has me doing the sacraments. They, you know, all churches do sacraments weird, you know, differently, and you're like, got to figure out how they do it, and it made me anxious and nervous. I'd call my mom, and she would calm my soul, because I was, it, it, her voice calmed me, mama's boy, um, because that's the thing that settled my fears. Maybe it's the performance of your kids. That you, the, how your kids perform, like make you feel like such great confidence. Maybe it's the, your own sense of independence. Um, when you feel the sense of who you are is threatened, you remind yourself, I don't need any, I don't need them, I don't need anybody. Maybe you think about the past and how difficult it's been to walk the straight and the narrow, to be involved as you have been involved in Christian communities and the church and how, how it's all been worth it, that sense of thinking back to your own obedience, your own faithfulness, um, that is what grounds you and that's what gives you confidence. It's important, actually, for all of us to identify the things that we run to when that sense of who we are is threatened, not just um, if you're not a Christian, uh, or you're thinking about becoming a Christian, but the Christian life, even for Paul, was one of like continually reminding himself uh, in a turning away from those other things that do not compare to the righteousness that we find in Christ. And that's why it's important for you to identify those things 
uh, that you run to that make you feel good? Um, what is it that makes you feel good or makes you feel like you're in? Which brings me to the second question, the second point. Why do we need this righteousness? Why do we need this status that gets us in? The Bible story is this, like you and I were created in a perfect relationship with God, our relationship, um, our, our lives centering around God, and because of our lives were perfectly centered around God, uh, we had this right status before Him. Uh, we were in with Him at the beginning, and because we were in with Him, we were actually in with one another. Uh, we were, we were actually even in with ourselves at the beginning. Um, before sin entered into the world, it would be, have been unthinkable for you to look in the mirror and to hate what you see. Um, but we lost that. But we lost that. Because of sin, because we've turned away from God, and now we live with this actual, this nagging sense of not. We live with this nagging sense of not, this, this sense that maybe, maybe I'm not in. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not in. And sometimes we're able to like mute those voices, um, because, but at other times those voices scream at us, and that's all we hear. I'm not good enough. I'm not in. Telling us that we're not in. And so what we do is we turn to those things that make us feel like we're in. It could be your parents, it could be your independence, it could be your job, it could be the stuff you have, it could be your children, it could be relationships, it could be how smart you are. When we hear the voices that scream at us that we're not in, we turn to those things that make us feel like we're in. And Paul is saying that there is so much more at stake than how you feel. There's so much more at stake than how you, how you feel, like your feelings can actually lead, you, lead us sometimes to, to our biggest needs, but they don't always do that. For instance, I remember my senior year in high school, uh, the night before packing up for our senior trip, I thought it would be a great idea for some reason to like, I don't know, how random is this, to make hot chocolate. And I remember putting my mom's favorite antique teapot on the stove, left it there, went back upstairs, packed, fell asleep. Hours later, I smelt something burning, um, and, and I, I was like, you know, that jump, you're like, oh, and you run downstairs, and I remember turning the corner of, of the kitchen and seeing this lava ball. All the water had bo boiled out, and this, this teapot was like bright. It was like the Shekinah glory. Ah! It was like super bright, and, and I was just panicked. I was like, what? Uh? And I remember like trying to grab the handle, and it was like... It was like goo. It was like, ooh, and I was like, it broke. And then the, the tea kettle part was like, ooh, and it was just bad. And I remember, like, at that moment that I had this nagging sense that, that things are not going to be right with me and my mother in the morning. <laughs> and, and I didn't have an extra teapot in my room or anything. And I spent the rest of the night, up until I had to get in my car and leave, scrubbing the soot off of this teapot, hoping I could like set it up in a way where I could just scoot out and like it would never be noticed. Just trying to, hoping I could do enough so it could go unnoticed. Just scrubbing and scrubbing that pot and gluing that thing back together. 
because sometimes we really do feel that way. We really do feel that way, don't we? Like that all of our efforts, especially our religious efforts, like we are trying to somehow make up for all of what we've done wrong. Um, that we're trying to make up for the way from which we have failed God. And sometimes we get this nagging sense that, you know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I can do nearly enough for what I've done. And now, whether or not you feel that way or not, let me be clear. The Bible says that there is an obstacle between you and God that you cannot repair yourself. Like, you can't do it. And so, that is why Paul is saying that there is so much more at stake here than how you feel. Look back to verse 3 when he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Like Paul is saying, this is, that this is the only way to be in with God. This is it. If you want God in your life, if you, if you, if you want those things that he talks about in verse 10 and 11, like the power of his resurrection, that you might endure great suffering, and even attain the resurrection from the dead, this is the only way you can get it. This is it. And so there's so much more at stake than how, just how you feel about being in. And so finally, me in with this, this question, how do we get it? How do we get this righteousness that makes us acceptable, um, that gets us in with God? How do we get it? We usually think about it in terms of building a resume, but this is what Paul calls confidence in the flesh, um, which is bad, by the way, for tracking with me. He talks about another righteousness that comes from God by faith. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, but, whoever was, but, what, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Like, this is very important. This is, like, if you've never been offended by the gospel, you should actually be offended by this. Like, hear me out on, like, like because what Paul is saying is that there have been good things that have been in my life. There have been really good things that have been in my life. A good family, a good church, good values, all these things. But he discovered something about those things. Um, he, when he looked at them, those things to get him in, he realized like they actually are not gain. They're actually loss. They are the things that have separated from him from God. But more than that, like he said, in order to gain Christ, he had to learn to count those things as rubbish. Like, to tell myself that those things that I used to think were the greatest things about myself in my life, that they're rubbish. There's some debate about this word rubbish. Uh, the word rubbish really is excrement, and that's why the, new, the King James Version uh, translates that word as dung. Um, like, it's a metaphor, right? Like, it's a, it's a powerful metaphor. And what he's saying is, the things that have mattered most to you, 
you must tell yourself they are dung. They're dung. They're rubbish. That's what he's saying. In order to gain Christ, you must tell yourself that those that these other things are rubbish. Being nice, being known as the nice person, as great as that is, is rubbish. Being smart doesn't count for anything. Being a member of the greatest church, all the years of years of doing your best to do what is right doesn't count for anything more than excrement. Rubbish. It is, it's not that those things have no value in and of themselves, but Paul is saying that compared, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he counts those things as such. How, how can that be? How can that be? When we trust in Christ, when we, when we trust in Christ, when we put all of our hope in Him, when we put our faith in Him, we receive what Paul says is righteousness from God. Look at what he says. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And Paul is saying that it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone. Jesus apart from, in spite of anything else you think you bring, it's Jesus alone. He's the only one that actually can get you in. He's the only one that can get you in. And he gets you actually forever in. You're in forever, unshakably in freely in you are only in because of jesus you're only in because of jesus we we weren't getting in like you have to remember like we weren't getting in he got us in he got us in and what paul is saying is that there's no one else who gets us in but jesus that's it and the only way he gets us in is if you put your faith in him with jesus we're not born in. Remember, he had to earn our way in. He earned our way in. When Jesus began his public ministry, it, began, it begins with God speaking from heaven. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. And then you read about Jesus all through the Gospels, right? You read about Jesus all through the Gospels, um, and you see why God loved him so much. You see why God loved him so much. He did everything right. He never failed his father. He never failed his heavenly father, which makes his cry from the cross uncomprehensible when he says, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he had done everything right. Like Christianity is this, like, he was forsaken for yours and for my failures. He was forsaken for yours and my failures. For our sins and our failures, he was forsaken so that we might receive the status of a beloved son and a beloved daughter who had never failed his heavenly father. We get that status. Christ gives, like he imputes his righteousness to us. He gives us his righteousness, and it's yours. 
It's freely yours. It's unshakably yours. It's forever yours. You see how Paul belabors the idea of faith in this passage? Found in him, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that is, uh, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's by faith. Not of anything of your own doing. Not of anything of your own doing. Why is he saying this? He is saying that there is nothing in you, there is nothing in you that earns it. There is nothing in you that earns it. And even better than that, there is nothing in you that jeopardizes it. You hear that? There's nothing in you that earns it. There's nothing in you that jeopardizes it. And not even the strength of your faith is what secures it for you. Not even the strength of your faith can, can, secures it for you. It's totally the object of your faith. Jesus that secures it and keeps it. Like This is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to stop trusting in the things that you love most about your life. Like, it will. It just is. They're, they've made you feel good for a very long time. It will be difficult for you to stop trusting in them, to count them as loss. It will also be difficult because people that matter most to you are going to be very disappointed when you do that. Um, they're not going to understand um, and, and some of them may even reject you. You will be on the outside. And Paul says, you will lose some of these things. Think about what he lost. Think about what Paul lost. Like, he lost tons of things. But, but what you find is this new in with God that brings this new freedom, uh, that gives this greater confidence and this new joy that cannot be touched by your circumstances. It can't be touched by your circumstances, and it can't be touched even by your own failures. Um, and it's absolutely free. I started, uh, uh, started out telling you about Harold Abrams and actually questioned whether or not you're a Christian if you hadn't seen Chariots of Fire, and I apologize for that. Um, but this other guy in this movie, uh, I'll close with this. Other guy in the movie, Eric Little, who was also training for the Olympics, um, he is a Christian from a missionary family, um, and his sister gets really concerned uh, that all this attention that he um, has been placing on training for the Olympics and all this praise and all this fame that he is getting um, is it has been it, he, he that he's been he's getting all this fame and stuff from his countrymen that it's all going to his head. She's concerned. Um, that it will take him away from serving as a missionary in China. And she confronts him about this. And, and this is what he says back to her. This is what he says back. God made me for China. He said, God made me for China. But he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that line. God made me for China, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, he gets it. Like, listen, like, he gets it, right? He gets it because he wants to be a missionary. He wants to be a missionary, but he knows that being a missionary doesn't make God love you anymore. 
or any less. It doesn't. It doesn't get you in at all. He knows that he is in Christ. And because he's there, he finds this joy. Um, he finds this joy in his running apart from anything else he'll ever achieve by it. When I run, I feel his pleasure. He found this joy that doesn't depend on what he can achieve. Like, it is his by faith. Is that true for you this morning? Have you found that joy? Like, it actually can be yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for Jesus, for his life and his death and his resurrection that made a way for us to be in. We thank you for his righteousness that's given to us, makes us right, and that status that gets us in. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust in it. Help us to lean into it. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.